Let's continue giving attention to the word of God. Would you look at verse 5? Verse 5 of Daniel chapter 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand, you know this story? The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar, verse 9, was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. There's a phrase at the end of Daniel chapter 4, which we were last in uh, several weeks ago now. There's a phrase that is repeated twice at the end of Daniel chapter 4 by a certain man. The phrase is this. The phrase is, my reason returned to me. My reason returned to me. The person who spoke that phrase twice was King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Just very briefly, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 was a proud sinner whom God humbled to the ground. And it seems, according to Daniel chapter 4, it seems instead of being a proud sinner, It seems that he became instead a humble saint. And there at the end of Daniel chapter 4, again, he said, my reason returned to me. Now, there's a man named Dale Ralph Davis, and, and Dale Ralph Davis has pointed out that a phrase like this, my reason returned to me, is a big deal. Uh, that That's a big deal. But we typically don't give it the credit that it's due. We may not think it's a big deal, the idea of someone saying, my reason returned to me. In point of fact, it is a big deal, but we may not realize it or give it the credit that it's due or, or give God thanks. I hope you noticed what Hilt read uh, from the Word of God in Luke 17. Love it. 
great Thanksgiving passage, Luke 17, 11 through 19. Weren't there 10 healed? Why is there only one to give praise to God? Dale Ralph Davis says this, again, speaking about this issue of making sure that we understand how big of a deal it is. He says the inauguration on January the 20th, 1969, had been a full day for the Nixon family, presidential inauguration. They were back at the White House after Mr. Nixon had taken the oath of office and before they toured the various inaugural balls that evening. It was after dark when Pat Nixon phoned the White House chef. So it's a big day for the Nixon family. They're back at the White House. His wife is phoning the chef. She indicated that most of the family would like steak in the upstairs dining room. But then she said, I'd just like a bowl of cottage cheese in my bedroom. That threw the kitchen into a tizzy. They had all kinds of prime fillets. Stocked up so much that the pantry seemed like a grocery store, but not a spoonful of cottage cheese. So the head butler in a White House limousine sped around Washington until he found an open delicatessen with a supply of cottage cheese. Here's what Davis says. He says, it's woefully easy to ignore the common cottage cheese level matters but we must not do it when they are gifts of the Most High God. Say what? Let me say it again. It's very easy, he says, to overlook, to ignore the common cottage cheese everyday matters, but we must not ignore the common seemingly ordinary everyday matters when they are actually gifts from God. My reason returned to me said King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of chapter 4. Today, it's no longer King Nebuchadnezzar. Today, it's his son, uh, figuratively speaking, his son. Today, it's King Belshazzar in chapter 5. But in chapter 4, it was King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, that's not the only thing that he said at the end of chapter 4. Not only did he say twice, my reason returned to me because God humbled me. Because God saved me, and I was a wild beast of a man. He says something else there at the very end of chapter 4. Look at this. Look at this at the end of chapter 4. Now, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those, listen, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Today we see God's glory in salvation through judgment. Let me say that again. Today we see God's glory in salvation through judgment. Now, there are many similarities between Daniel 5 and Daniel 4. There are many similarities. The most prominent of those would have to be, in both instances, you have a proud sinner, a proud, powerful sinner, in need of humbling. But there is also one key difference that I trust will become very clear in the message this morning. 
in the text. There is one key difference, even as there are many similarities between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. We see God's glory in salvation through judgment. How do we feel? I don't like to throw that word around a lot. Feel. How do you feel? How does this passage make you feel? How do we feel about the judgment of God? How do we truly feel about about hell and about what that implies about God? Can we, are you here today prepared to worship a God who is glorified in the judgment of sinners? Are we prepared to worship a God who gets glory for himself, not only in showing mercy, but also in showing salvation through judgments? Well, we've read already uh, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 5. We've read verses 1 through 12. I think many of you know this story. Let me give you just the the briefest uh, of summaries of chapter 5. Let me just give you a really brief. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what happens. We've read 1 through 12. I think how many? There's 31 verses. Actually, 31 should really go with chapter 6, actually. So we'll just say there's 30 verses to be technically correct. But what happens here? Well, we've already read that we're no longer dealing with Nebuchadnezzar. We're dealing with King Belshazzar. He's having a party, right? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. That alcohol equals sin, right? No, right? I said it was being facetious, right? We're going to, he's having a party, and there's so much historical detail here. If you just consider the background of what's actually going on during his party, oh, man, this is crazy. We'll, we'll shed a little bit of light on that. He's having his party, and then very quickly, what happens? You know this story. A lot of what we say today in modern parlance, people who aren't Christians in the world, actually comes from this chapter. You know the phrase, the handwriting is on, the writing is on the wall. That's Daniel 5. Your days are numbered. Well, that's Daniel 5. And so he's throwing this party, and very quickly, uh, beginning, in fact, in verse 5, something happens, something that makes the king begin to be petrified. And what is that? Well, of course, it's a hand. It's a hand that begins writing on the wall. Uh, This isn't a a scary Halloween movie. This is real. And the hand begins writing on the wall. He's petrified. We've seen this before. He calls in all of the wise men of Babylon, and where they fail, Daniel succeeds. The queen mother, the queen mother says, Number one, Belshazzar, stop being such a scaredy cat. Number two, here's what you need to do. Call Daniel. You know, like, you got a plumbing problem, call Roto-Rooter or whatever. These silly jingles, just call us. Just stop being so nervous. The queen mother says, call Daniel. Daniel comes in. Daniel, did you know I'm offering a pretty substantial reward for anybody who can read the interpretation of what this hand, this spooky hand wrote on the wall, Daniel says, I'm not, I don't want your reward. I'll help you. I don't want your reward. And then from there, I told you this was going to be quick. From there, Daniel gives him the interpretation. It's not good for the king. It's, it's, uh, it's fatally not good for the king. It's not good for the empire. It's fatally not good for the empire. And so at the end of the chapter, the, here we are. This is, this is 539 B.C., okay? 
This is 539 BC, Daniel chapter 5. When we get to the end, the Babylonian Empire is no more. And King Belshazzar is no more. And you know what? You know what? God did it. God did it. And so that's why we have to ask ourselves that question. Are we truly, are we actually comfortable? Can we worship a God who is glorified not only in salvation, but also in judgment? And do we understand that our salvation actually is through judgment? Do we understand? The first thing, and I know you say first thing, that was a long introduction. The first thing, let's talk about wine. Let's talk about wine. That's number one, wine, or you could even say wine and women. All of these vices, of course, that uh, we might say tear a good man down or something like that. Verse 2, Daniel 5, verse 2. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. That's not really that big of a deal, right? Well, i just point out that when it says in verse 2 that he commanded the vessels of gold and silver, of course, right before it says commanded that the vessels of gold and silver, it says he tasted the wine, and that's when he did that. Well, we keep reading, and uh, verse 4, it says, look at verse 4 with me. It says, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Do you see that in verse 4? And again, uh, like I just did, I would just point out, not to make too much of this, but I would just point out that it says, and praise the gods of, which is just foolishness. But before it says, and praise the gods, it says they drink wine and praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, and wood, and stone. So this first thing that we're thinking about is wine. Wine. Why would we talk about this? Well, because we like to talk about what the text presents us to talk about. This is certainly not the main subject of Daniel chapter 5, but it seems to play a prominent role, does it not? Does it not seem to play a prominent role as we begin? I didn't even read verse 1, which of course says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. You know this verse. Ephesians 5.18 says this. Listen to this. Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, in the gospel and in the implications of the gospel, God does not only give us negatives. He gives us negatives, but he also gives us the positive. And so in Ephesians 18, the positive is what? For the people of God. For the people of God, the positive is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, Crossway. If you want to know more about that, well, then simply read the context there around Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, what did it say? What is debauchery? What is debauchery? Debauchery, according to it, listen to it again, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, right? Debauchery is being drunk with wine, and it certainly can involve other things as well. That's what's going on in Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, it seems very clear this is a scene of a debauched party. Uh, debauchery, getting drunk with wine. And so just to comment briefly, of course, we've already said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to remember 
it doesn't hurt to remind us that drunkenness is clearly a sin. Drunkenness is clearly a sin. Sometimes we read our church covenant publicly in the service, uh, maybe in tandem with the Lord's Supper or something like that. And in our church covenant, we talk about substances and drink and alcohol and those things, not meant to be an absolute teetotaling statement. Church covenant's not meant to be an absolute teetotaling statement. But certainly the scripture is clear that drunkenness is a sin. And so we want to be careful as the people of God in our attitude towards alcohol and our attitude towards wine that we not have too cavalier of an attitude because to come close in action to being drunk or to come close in thought to thinking, not a big deal, I'll stop. This is clearly not helpful. That being said, John chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ is at the wedding, and we have a Savior who is fully God and fully man, and so he goes to weddings. We have a Savior who came to this world and wasn't super spiritual, so to speak, but he went to weddings, and when he was at weddings, like the one in John chapter 2, what did he do? Well, of course, he changed the water into wine. It's a symbol of joy, and it's a symbol of glad. and of course, Paul says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach and things like that. Well, that's John chapter 2, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, changing the water into wine. But here we are in the Old Testament. Here we are in Daniel chapter 5. And in the context of the Old Testament, the Bible certainly does have warnings, like in the book of Proverbs, about even looking upon the wine. But generally speaking... Listen, generally speaking, the view of wine in the Old Testament is that it is a gift from God and that it is good, that absolutely there are situations where you must be careful. Generally speaking, it is a good gift from God. It is clear here that this is a scene of debauchery. Look again at Daniel 5, 1 through 5. I don't think the connection is merely incidental. Again, verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood. Verse 2, the king and his lords there in the middle of verse 2, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. I mentioned earlier the history. It's 539 B.C. At the end of Daniel chapter 5, the great Babylonian empire, and it was great. It was great. The apex of the empire was under Nebuchadnezzar. This is his son, figuratively speaking. It was great. At the end of Daniel chapter 5, it actually is over. You see, when we, when we understand he's having this feast here while the Medo-Persian empire is kind of literally at the gates, Cyrus or, or Darius, he is at the gates, and this man is partying on the edge of the grave which is a little bit of a parable for us and for our world and maybe for how we were before Jesus Christ, spending our days in revelry and in debauchery and partying in sinful ways. There's good ways to party, like at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, partying in sinful ways when we don't realize that the judgment of God is real. The judgment of God is for every human being. We must all give an account. The judgment of God has also fallen on the Lord Jesus Christ 
for all believers. For all believers, the judgment of God has fallen at the cross of Christ. But again, my point is, at this party, at this drunken revelry, it's about to be over in a matter of hours, and Belshazzar will die. Well, not only do we think about wine, but let's think about the writing on the wall. Wine, and then number two, the writing on the wall. The writing on the wall. Look at verse five. Immediately. You know that's a word that Mark uses all the time in his gospel, but here we are in Daniel 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lamp. Now get this picture. Verse 5. And let me ask you as we get this picture and meditate on verse 5, what would make you petrified? What would make you petrified? One example might be, you know, I know Carowinds is not close to us. That's where I grew up uh, in the backyard of Carowinds. And for some of you, it's like nothing could, I, I want to do everything there. The state fair, I want to, you know. But for others, it's like that terrifies me. Why does that type of ride even exist? I mean, why is that, why does that even exist? That's ridiculous. And to, uh, if, if, if I were to somehow be uh, drugged and then put on that ride, that, that ride, and realize as it's starting to go that, I'm, uh, that, that would be petrifying for, for some of you maybe. Or just the thought of, of being on that ride, just the thought of it. As you look, I don't want to look at that. That's crazy. What would make you petrified? What would make you petrified even to the point of losing control of your body because of the fear? Think about that. Answer that in your mind. What would make you uh, begin to literally lose control of your body so that your knees are knocking together? Today we see not a scary horror Halloween movie or a truly scary Halloween costume like the, the girl or the boy comes to us. That's really good, man. You got me. That's really good. You, that's scary. Today we see not a a legitimately scary horror movie or a legitimately scary costume. Today we see God himself, listen, God himself both sending the terror and bringing judgment. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God and it is a glorious thing to repent of sin and fall into the hand of a caring sovereign. It is a glorious thing to repent of your sin and fall into the hand of a caring sovereign. Either way, he rules. He rules either way. Wine. We're, we're in the middle of thinking about the writing on the wall. Look again at verse 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Look at verse 6. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. 
the, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, extremely rare back then, right? You know that, extremely rare, and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came up, but stop right there, stop. Did you catch verse six? Now, in our English translations, now, I, I can't say this with 100% certainty, but it is likely, it is likely that what we might think about verse 6 actually goes deeper. When this hand is writing on the wall, and when Belshazzar is having a grand old time in his uh, inebriated state, and when it says, and we think, well, his knees are knocking together and his limbs gave way, I think you understand what I mean when there's a very strong chance that what is actually being said here is that the lower part of his body, his bodily functions, he is no longer able to control. That is actually the greater probability. So Ian Duguid, for example, says this about verse 6. The Aramaic literally says that the knots of his joints were loosened. The knots of his joint, most probably this does not mean that his legs gave way, but rather that he lost control of his bodily functions with a wet patch appearing under his chair. You see? You see verse 6? There's a greater chance that that's what's going on here. He loses control of his bodily functions, as Dugan says, with a wet patch appearing under his chair. Why? Because we're not joking around here. Because this is a true story. Because he was literally petrified. Because God is behind this. Because God is not cavalier about his glory. Because God will not share his glory with you or with King Belshazzar or with anyone else. Because God wants to wake us up to his glory. God wants to wake us up to his sovereignty. God wants to wake us up to his holiness. Because in that we will be truly who we are made to be. God does not take his glory lightly. The writing on the wall. Well, just a brief interlude here. The wine, the writing on the wall, a very important interlude here. Let me say this, and let me also say we're, we're not looking at this whole passage in any type of depth, okay? We're not going to do that today. But we cannot understand chapter 5 unless we do see how 4 and 5 go together. I've already mentioned that. We need to see how chapters 4 and 5 go together, and you know what? Uh, chapter 5 actually gives us a review of chapter 4 built in. I want you to see that. I really want us to see. I want us to see what it means that chapters 4 and 5 go together. And thankfully, it's, it's built in right here to chapter 5. Look at verse 18. In all of this, we're thinking about God's glory and salvation through judgment. Verse 18. This is Daniel speaking to Belshazzar. This is, you remember, this is Belteshazzar speaking to Belshazzar. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, 
He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew, notice this in verse 21, until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. That is the key phrase right there. Mark that. Mark that at the end of verse 21. Until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So are you concerned about the direction of our world? Concerned about the direction of our country? Did you like the way our country was going a a couple years ago? All of these rulers of the world, verse 21b, are in a sense puppets in the hand of God. To use the word that one man has used, they are lackeys. You know what a lackey is. They are lackeys. God is most high. God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. It's really neat, I think, that here in chapter 5, in verses 18 through 21, that is a summary of chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 4, was awesome. In the eyes of this world, he was great. Unlike Belshazzar, chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar actually had awesome accomplishments to his name. He actually did stuff. Belshazzar threw parties. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, looks, we look back and we say, man, that was the pinnacle of ancient civilization. He actually did stuff. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams where he got afraid, but he didn't get petrified. Belshazzar sees the hand from God writing on the wall, and he probably loses control of his bodily functions. We see here a truly great man and a man who was not great. And in chapter 4, if you again pay attention to that summary that Daniel's just given, God humbled proud King Nebuchadnezzar. God humbled him. So that as we look back again to the very end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, All his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And we think carefully. Listen, we think carefully and we tread carefully and we speculate about what will it be like in the afterlife? What will it be like in heaven if we are, if we are aware? What, what will that be like to know that some of our perhaps closest loved ones are tortured under the wrath of God and eternal hell and eternal punishment. And the same thing, listen, the same thing that the book of Revelation says is is in many ways what we see here that Nebuchadnezzar says at the end of chapter 4. Listen, all his works are right and his ways are just. That's what we'll be saying in heaven. That's what the redeemed of God will be saying. Your ways are right. You are just. You are holy. Everything you do is right and just and true, and no one can say to you, listen, God is not ever, ever, ever unfair. He is never unfair. 
What we see in chapter 5 is a warning even for us. Originally, chapter 5 is a warning to God's people Israel. You need to repent. You need to repent or there will be judgment. Do you see how I can bring Belshazzar down just like that? Chapter 5, verse 30. Do you see that, my people Israel? Do you see that, my people today? God is never unfair. Those who are not finally saved through Jesus Christ, there is salvation only through Jesus Christ. You must repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Conscious faith in the Lord Jesus. Conscious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who do not finally, uh, those who are not finally saved through Jesus Christ will die getting what they deserve because they die unrepentant. But those who are saved are only saved through the mercy of God, not because of anything that we have done or deserve. Now look with me for just a moment at chapter 1. Turn to chapter 1. I'll just tell you really quick while we're doing this. Chapter 1, these few verses are foundational to the entire book of Daniel, and they're foundational to the final point that I want to make from chapter 5 today. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. I'll notice that again. Verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand What? What is it? with some of the vessels of the house of God. Do you see? Are you making that connection with what we're reading today? And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Notice just one more time. The Lord gave the king in verse 2 to this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, and he gave some of the vessels. Now turn back to verse 5, or chapter 5, I'm sorry. Turn back to chapter 5. Wine. Number one, the writing on the wall. Number two, finally, stay with me, finally wake up to the glory of God. Look at this. This is the word of God for us today. Wake up to the glory of God. In verses 18 through 21 of chapter 5, he's just summarized what happened in in chapter 4. And what Daniel was saying to Belshazzar is, He says, listen, look at me. He says, Belshazzar, you've got this great reward. It's like in the musical Annie. You know, I'm going to give $50,000 to those who turn in the true parents of Annie. He's got this truly great reward. Daniel says, I don't want your reward. I'll help you with the interpretation. Daniel has no personal animosity towards Belshazzar. Daniel doesn't give him an unfavorable interpretation because he's ticked off at him. 
Daniel gives him the interpretation. We're not Daniel today. We don't get a word from the Lord like this. We have the word from the Lord. Daniel says this to Belshazzar because he got a word from the Lord. He got the interpretation from the Lord. And here's what he says to Belshazzar. He says, listen, he says, you are willfully blind. He says, you need to wake up to the glory of God. He says, judgment is coming. He says, listen, he says, it's too late for you. He says, it's too late. You don't know it. You're having a party and they're right outside the gates and the empire's over and you're about to die. You're, it's too late for you. He says, you are willfully blind. What do I mean? What is willful? Willful blindness is Romans chapter one. It's Romans chapter one. We're blind. We're blind. And we're willfully blind. What he says, beginning in verse 22, he says, Belshazzar, he said, you know what happened with your father. You know good and well that just like you, he was a proud sinner. And you know that he humbled himself. No, that God humbled him. And you know that after God humbled him, he praised God and said, God is God. I'm not God. He said, listen, he said, you know this and you willfully put it out of your mind. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. The question is, what's the big deal? This is how all of us think about sin. Do you know that God destroyed the Babylonian empire and God destroyed Belshazzar because he drank from the wrong cup? You know that? Are we prepared to worship a God who gets glory for himself in judgment even because a man drinks from the wrong cup? We have such a small view of God and therefore a small view of sin. The big deal, what's the big deal about drinking out of the wrong cup? Verses one through four are blasphemy. It's blas that's what's going on here. It's blasphemous. Even Nebuchadnezzar who took the goblets from the temple in Jerusalem. Even he did not have the gall to drink out of them. Belshazzar had never accomplished anything in his life except to throw parties. And he has the gall in his drunken state to say, this is a great party. Bring the cups from the Lord's treasury, from the Lord's temple. Bring those cups so we can drink wine and so that we can worship the gods of gold, silver, and bronze. And you better believe that God cares about his glory. You better believe that God will hold us accountable. God says, no, sir. No, you are not getting away with this. He says, you worship that which are not God's. You worship that which are not God's when I have given you breath and life. And we today, we today commit fornication and we today get drunk. And the whole time we do it, we're on borrowed time. We're on we are breathing with the very breath that God himself has given us while we sin in high-handed ways or ways that we don't think are high-handed like greed, or covetousness. And God says, no, I am out for my glory. It is not, it is not a small thing. Here's a double negative. It is not a small thing to not praise God with every fiber of your being. It is not a small thing to not give thanks to God with everything of fiber of your being. That's not a small thing. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, that the judgment that would come upon those who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ would in a sense, in a very real sense, be more severe than the judgment upon Belshazzar. Hear the word of the Lord. If we, if you, listen to me, if we go on sinning deliberately, 
after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. What's the big deal? I, I can't worship a God who kills a man for using the wrong cup. Well, there was more to it than that. But there was not less. Uzzah. Uzzah tried to help God by studying the ark. You can't help God. You can fall on his mercy, though. You can't help God out. You can repent of your sins and know him as a merciful sovereign through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. We'll take a brief moment of silence. As you can pray, if you desire at this time, call out to the Lord. Oh Lord, you have given us life and breath and everything. When we sin, we sin, breathing the air that you give us. You are never unfair. It is astounding that you are merciful to any. Lord, our prayer is very simple. That you might give Crossway Church more trembling and greater happiness and joy in trembling. Unite our hearts to fear your name. May we run to Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners. And we thank you for his tender mercy, and we pray in his name. Amen.